Hello, and welcome to the Burning Castle podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Rinsberg. Each episode, I speak with a changemaker learning to unlock the creative potential of a world caught in chaos. These are the artists, actors, performers, musicians, designers, thinkers, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, activists, chefs, and countless others creating new paths amid crumbling institutions. You can follow us on Twitter at Burning Castle and on Instagram at Burning Castle Podcast. My next guest is Stacy Rosich. Stacy is a painter, illustrator, and muralist. But what really sets Stacy apart is the texture of her work. When you see one of her paintings, you know it is uniquely hers. Like a private aesthetic language, she's developed with her audiences after years of practice. Her painting has a folkloric, mythical feel, with petroglyph-type characters strewn with the absurd imagery of contemporary life. It's whimsical, hilarious, incisive, cutting, and sometimes scary, but always brilliant. In this interview, Stacy and I talk about where these ideas come from, how she created that aesthetic vocabulary, and what keeps her moving and working and creating. This is a great interview with a great painter, and I hope you enjoy. Stacy Rosich, thank you so much mm-hmm. for joining us on the Burning Castle podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you because I absolutely love your work. And for people out there listening who don't know what I'm looking at, it is some of the most intense interesting eye drawing illustration that you will see today and you will not mistake it for the work of anybody else this is absolutely the work only of Stacey Rosich so I wanted to first you know before we dive into your work and uh, where it comes from and what it means and all those kinds of things I want to give people just a better sense of who you are where you are how you got there um, just the basics mm-hmm. well that thank you for that intro that was extremely flattering and I wish I could take that with me wherever I go. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, my name is Stacy Rosich and I'm an illustrator and painter and sometimes a muralist. I live in Los Angeles currently, but I'm from Seattle, Washington. So I've been painting probably for the last, mm, gosh, 15 years, which makes me feel so much older than I feel like I really am. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I've been working as a contemporary folkloric artist probably officially for the past 10 years. Oh, no, actually probably last 12 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does that term mean, folkloric artist? I work within more of like a contemporary folkloric vernacular. So it's like a little bit outside of the mainstream it's definitely rooted in a lot of old world traditions, a lot of uh, folkloric motifs, which are rooted in like textiles and masks and storytelling and just a lot of like handmade, hand hewn uh, pieces of like uh, clothing and rugs and all that sort of thing. So I incorporate that with a lot of figural work as well and elements of pop culture. So that's when I say when I'm a contemporary folkloric artist, it's based in a lot of historical references, but it's also through the lens of like a contemporary uh, viewpoint. So, you know, it's something that jumps out right away when you look at your work, which is um, 
the textiles, even within the paintings. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of texture in the painting and also figures that are draped in different kinds of textiles and also masks. Um, what, what is it that draws you to the masks, especially ones that, that are, you know, they seem as if they don't belong where they are, you know, a donkey shedding tears with a, in a figure of a man who looks like he's wearing pajamas or things that just really look unusual and out of place. But Mm -hmm. um, in the context of each individual piece, they kind of form their own weird world. So where does that come Mm -hmm. from for you? I think I really enjoy playing with the idea of like challenging our ideas of like what, what is identity and like how we present ourselves and like also incorporating that into a world which does give you a double take that does make you look a little bit closer at it because you wonder why is he dressed like that? Why is he wearing a mask or why is he wearing like a mascot head? And I think that to me is my way of one, sometimes I don't really want to paint people. (laughs) Mm. And so I, although I am, I must say I am fairly good at it. I just sometimes don't want to actually have to deal with the trappings of how we present ourselves as humans. And so the idea of like obfuscating our identity with some sort of adornment actually is much more interesting to me because you get to be whoever you want when you're, I guess, a figure in my artistic world. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just something I find to be very interesting is, is, is playing with identity. (laughs) And um, yeah, there's, at the uh, talent gallery, I found this really interesting little phrase that deals with your work. Um, and it talks about a, a series that you did for the gallery um, focused on contemporary social and, and the contemporary social and political climate via snapshot mm. versions of our worst viewpoints and impulses. And it's a bit of that last piece, the, the phrase having to do with our worst viewpoints and impulses Um, how do you, how do you, what do you see those to be and how do you see them translated into your work? Mm -hmm. It was, I think that was a show I did in 2017, I think, Mm -hmm. is that, I think that one deals with a lot of like flag paraphernalia, perhaps that might Mm -hmm. be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Figures draped Um, in flags, um, like mm -hmm. kind of devilish looking. Yeah. And that, I think if we can rewind back to those wonderful days of 2017 when <laughs> the political climate was uh, pretty much a powder keg as much as it is, I guess, today also. Right. I was thinking back then of like how much people, again, to go back to the idea of identity, wrap themselves in whatever flag of whatever country they live in. And that's mm-hmm. that's an identity. And that's how people yeah. present themselves. And so I think that can, when you wear that flag or you wear some sort of garment that recognizes you in some sort of affiliation with a certain party, I think that does enable people to not behave very well or like not really, you know, be be good people, honestly, if I'm just going to be simple about it. So Mm -hmm. I think I was, I was exploring that idea very um exclusive like you're excluding the other in that, mm-hmm. in that way yeah and, ma- and maybe that's where your work that's you know 
I, I'll put this to you as a question because I just spoke with um, on the podcast Edgar Carrot, who's a, a re- really well-known Israeli short story writer and you know self-described leftist. And for him, the fiction that he writes is about offering people a means of engaging in a way that's supra-political, like it, it's it's enabling people to engage with the other perspective that gives his work meaning to him. Um, and mm-hmm. almost like a break from the constant politics. Do you feel like that is something that your work does for you or for others, or is there is there a different reason behind um, engaging politically with the work that in the way that you've done? I think at that time I really was charged up politically, and I felt motivated to deal with what was going on in like the you know contemporary of the culture. But I think actually since then I've kind of moved away from it because I'm honestly a little exhausted from it. But I think at the time I was yeah. really interested and with playing with elements of of the flag and of um, of different elements of that time period, which I feel like were very like yeah, super supercharged is a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I think that was like I was just more motivated back then to do it and have that discussion. But I think as of right now, I'm just like I'm, I think like everyone else, just really tired from it and just. I've wanted to like go in a little bit of a different direction because so many more people can deal with these issues better than I can. And I think when I dipped my toe into it with those pieces, it felt really good and like an exercising those demons. But I think since then I've, I've, I've let those stay in that time period for me and I've moved away from them. Yeah. Which I, you know, I, I think it's also, um, I think it's something people share that sentiment where it's like, all right, enough. Like the, mm-hmm. Twitter can be Twitter and all that stuff can go on wherever it needs to go on. And you just don't want it in your life. Even mm-hmm. if you have the beliefs or the convictions, the principles, mm-hmm. or whatever, you've got them. Okay, good. But, um, you know, that, that also brings us to a question, which is about art, like where mm-hmm. that classic debate between, you know, l'art pour l'art, like art for art's sake, or mm-hmm. um, art that has to do something or, or, Right. Some sort of right. What is its meaning. function? What right? right. What is exactly. it? What purpose? And how how do you like? How do you do? You, is that something that you try to negotiate with yourself? If it should have a purpose, or if this is something that I can just do because it it fulfills you, or because you create something beautiful, or you know, is there is, it, is there a tension there for you, or is it just something that you do naturally in whatever it turns out to be is what it is? Yeah. I think the themes are all very intuitive for me. Like, again, talking back about that body of work from 2017, where I was then was very charged up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just listening to the news constantly, podcasts, just like an IV drip of <laughs> of everything that was going on. And I think that really motivated those pieces. Yeah. But I think, again, getting overloaded with that and then moving into a space where I just wanted to create something that was beautiful or it really just was like a function for me to paint texture and just to paint drapery on a figure. And that's something I, that, that is more art for art's sake, because mm-hmm. it's just something that gives you a break just to look at the beauty of the way these forms are constructed. Mm-hmm. And that, that, yeah, there really isn't like a larger motivation behind that. So my work can go in waves and do a little bit of both because I think if it was one way or the other, it would be a little too one note. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why my work can be kind of almost a roller coaster. Sometimes you see these pieces and they're, they're very intense and they're very heavily constructed. 
And then other times it's just a figure standing amongst plants <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> so, you know, the back to what I'd said in the introduction, you know, this work is like, it's uniquely yours and it's uniquely, it, it coheres. Like there, there's a language that is, it's of itself and um, it's sort of your vernacular remains that with through every piece. Is that something, how did you get to that point where you started to paint figures like the ones that we see, which mm-hmm. like even anatomically, they, they're consistent um, across pieces and the colors, mm-hmm. there's a palette that is also there. How did you get to the point where you, where you, had this style that you could start to wrap your arms around in this way. I've been doing this style for, gosh, I had my first like solo show when I was 21 and it was like at a, uh, it was in Seattle. It was at a small vintage shop that showed art of like just the friends of the people who owned the the store. So I was 21 when I started painting like a very much more pared down seed of what I'm painting now. So I think, yeah, over 13 years, I I can just do this in my sleep, basically. I can draw these figures, the way that they all are standing and the way their anatomy is. It's just something I've done so much. Mm-hmm. And it's almost muscle memory to me now. And color palettes are something that I just, I've always loved deep reds and deep blues and light yellows and just working in the tonality of watercolor really enriches those colors for me. Mm. I think it's just my practice has just been something that has been very consistent for a long time. And, and I think that's what I've been dealing with now is feeling I've been doing it for so long and I think I'm very good at it and I will continue to do it. I just feel like what's next, like what, where am I going with this thing that I I've honed so well to like a really fine tip and where do I go with that? Right. <laughs> so that's been something I've been, I've been working through the last couple of weeks. And how do you, what is that process of working through that big question, which feels like staring into this, to the, into the blank space, which can, mm-hmm. I would imagine can be intimidating. Very intimidating. I've been giving myself the grace to start pieces and then not finish them. So I have a little bit of a graveyard right now of pieces that never really, never really made it. Um, but deadlines help for me. There's a gallery I show with they're in San Francisco and LA and New York. They're called Hashimoto contemporary. And I am in their satellite show for art Basel in December. It's called context. And so I needed to get this piece done and I started a piece and I was loving it. And I remember I left the table and I walked by it and I was like, I hate that. <laughs> what am I doing? Who are you? Why did you do that? And I really was like self-flagellating myself for a while, but I just gave myself the space to stop. Just don't continue because there's just no hope for this. Sometimes you can save pieces and you can pivot and go in a different direction, but this piece is just, and it's just no, no, no more places for it to go. So I started something again and I knocked it out and like the lightning bolt of inspiration hit me just at the right time. And I finished it and I love it. And I sent it off and I'm very proud of it. But that was basically what's been going on with me lately. It's just starting and stopping and then leaving and just not painting and not drawing and just cleaning the house or going on an errand. And before you know it, it's the day is done. (laughs) 
And just out of curiosity, what what do you do with the um, the graveyard or you know mm. the, the individual <laughs> tombstones in the graveyard? Do you keep them? Do you do you burn them? I do keep them, and sometimes I come back to them and I kind of I tighten them up and I can salvage them as much as I can, and then usually once a year I'll do a sale where I just sell all these things that I have that are wow. pretty much finished. They're not framed or anything. And a select group of people will snatch them up. <laughs> and that those would be people, you know, no, they're not people. I know they're just people on my mailing list. Oh, wow. That's yeah. very, very interesting. Kind of unfinished <laughs> or semi-completed mm-hmm. works. Yeah. And if it's, if it's truly bad, then that's, it's going in the, it's going in the trash. Right. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> um, so, you know, just thinking about today where we are and, um, you know, a lot of the people that I speak with in any field, the arts, media, um, entrepreneurship, a lot of the conversation is about the, about the institutions that have run our lives for so long and that we've engaged mm-hmm. with. And that's, I know as a writer, that's very much the case, like the institutions of publishing media, um, journalism, what have you, the literary institution was sort of it. And today that's no longer the case. And I think there's also a backlash as well. And do you find that your relationship with the art institution is different than what it was? And do you think that's something that's continuing to change? And, you know, what's it like for you to be, you know, in that world or not in that world or half in, half out? Yeah, it's a, that's a very great question. And it's something I think of often because I I think I'm actually at a very lucky time to be someone who was somewhat of an early adopter to something like Instagram, which was basically like, here's my life, but also here's a portfolio of my work, which is how I got a lot of galleries paying attention. And there are great galleries. And I've been showing in that world for a long time, but they're not huge blue chip galleries, which is fine because the nature of my work is a little bit one foot in the illustration world, editorial, and then one foot in the fine art world. But, and I think those things are kind of interchangeable now, which is very different. And I think social media has done a lot to do that because now I see a lot of painters doing editorial illustration for the New York Times, or I see a lot of illustrators showing in really nice galleries. And I think years ago, those institutions would never have allowed that sort of bleed through. And I have, you know, I have my own opinions about the art world. It's, it's still to me very, very exclusive. It's very dominated by white people, by my, by white men. And that's just, it's, it's changing little by little, but it's something that I, I do feel kind of on the periphery of, which is okay. When I was younger, I think I was really thirsting to be a part of that whole realm. But to me, it's like, it's just a little bit more of a, of a race that I don't really want to want to run in. Mm-hmm. I like doing my own thing now. And I have, I'm very lucky. I have a lot of people that collect my work and people keep contacting me to do jobs and to paint murals. And I feel extremely lucky and fortunate to be able to say that, mm-hmm. but I'm not necessarily a part of like a larger structure where mm-hmm. I only participate in one of those channels. So I kind of, I kind of do all three but in my own way. Yeah. I, you know, I think there for a lot of people in the arts or 
or in the literary world, or maybe in any world, there there's the glamour of the institution, the the romance of the myth about what it's like when you get there, wherever there is. Right. And right. I think as you progress through whatever it is you're doing, you start to see that it's not what it appears mm-hmm. to be. The facade is mm-hmm. nice and you read the magazine articles about that world mm-hmm. and it turns out to not be true when you get into it. And a lot of the incentives seem to be wrong in those worlds as right. well. So yes. the pressure is for that is just something I, it, it's not fun, honestly. I mean, again, it, the prestige is something that is like, we're always lusting after because that's just that, that really shiny example of once you've made it, you do right. this X, Y, and Z, and you get all these things because of that, but at what cost and how do you keep that up? How do you sustain that? And that's something that I've experienced in like in my own small way. And it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. So a lot you know, uh, on that question of sustainability of, of working, I think, you know, there's this sustaining of, of the image of a successful whatever you are, a painter or writer or musician. And, it, you know, in, in the literary world, the, the, the truism is that you're only as good as your last book. And that doesn't even mean in terms of how good the book is. It means how well it's sold or how well it was, right. you know, how was, how it was received. But in terms of being a working artist, how do you sustain it? You know, it, I know from my point of view, it can be just demoralizing to feel you're not progressing or you're not connecting mm-hmm. with the audience or you're not X or you're not Y. And I think a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of people in, in this, these worlds feel alone. They feel isolated. And that's yeah. um, the hardest thing to feel for many people. So like, how do you keep going day after day after day, year after year to get to the point that 13 years later, you're still in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When what I think what we do is so inextric- inextricably linked to who we are as people, there is really no other option you know, maybe it would be nice if we could just quit one day and just go work in an office and have a guaranteed paycheck. And that would take off some of the pressure, but that's just never going to happen. Cause I think with what we do, we have to do it in some form. And so I think just dealing with those times when you feel completely exhausted and burnt out, I think it's okay to feel those ways, but just know that there, there will be other times where it will come back again and yeah, that's the only thing I can really say to myself and to other people who are, who are going through exactly the same thing I'm going through right now is we can't do anything else. So just give yourself a moment because that's all you really have is time. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds like I'm going to live forever, which I'm not, um, but it's just something I need to tell myself to, to get through the day because <laughs> I can't um, do anything else. So what, what does the day look like for you like day to day? Oh, well... If I'm actually in the middle of a show and I'm actually the, all the pistons are firing and the engine's going, you know, I wake up and I do some exercise, which I was never a very athletic person growing up in Seattle. I was a total indoor kid, mm-hmm. which is how I honed my drawing style is because I just drew every single day, which is what my father always told me. Cause he was an artist as well. So I just, yeah, was a real indoor kid, never was into like, uh, athletics. So funny enough, moving to Los Angeles where it's unrelentingly sunny every single day, (laughs) you basically have to get out there and do something. So I've really learned to enjoy 
walking and running and hiking, and it really clears my mind and helps me work through things. So doing that in the morning is really good. Um, just kind of, you know, going through emails afterwards, doing administrative stuff. And I probably settle in around to paint like mm, after lunch. Mm-hmm. And then I work for several hours and yeah, just keep chipping away at whatever I'm working at. Yeah. And then usually uh, around like six o'clock, I'll have a glass of wine or not. And then, yeah, just watch a movie and go to bed. I've been really enjoying going to bed at like nine o'clock mm. lately. It's been feeling really good. Um, but yeah, other than that, I just, I find ways to keep myself busy. So I don't just like look into the sucking void and see how I'm not doing what I should be doing right now. Right. I just try and distract myself. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, that's all, I think a temptation. Um, I think a lot of people feel, which is to be constantly assessing what we're not doing at this moment and not just allowing it to be simple. And I think where, where you, you know, I've read about the, I forget the guy's name. He wrote a book about the routines of uh, artists and thinkers. And mm-hmm. Yeah. I've read and part like, of that book too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, what, what surprises me about, about a lot of those routines is how simple they are. It's not like, you know, Darwin worked like 20 <laughs> hours a day and slept like in, right. in increments or something. It's like the guy woke up at seven, had breakfast, went for a walk, did an hour of like mm-hmm. reading his mail and then like did some thinking and yeah, you know, yeah. and that was Brush the day. Cat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. like, it, it was enough on aggregate day after day after day, because it was something that he was able to sustain and maintain Mm -hmm. and live a life that I presume felt good in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and and not become just hollowed out by an impossible schedule. So especially when we're seeing like, you know, the, the Titans of industry today, Elon Musk is running like nine companies at the same time. They're all worth a hundred billion dollars. And it's like, Oh my God, should I be like that? And I think (laughs) we have to think, uh, no, let it be simple. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's nice to read those books like that. And, you know, cause they really do a range throughout history of, of, of different schedules and how the slower the schedule would allow more time for greater works where now, you know, we, we're in such a hustle culture that it's like, again, yeah, the eight companies worth billions of dollars, it's, you know, so much had to go into that, but it's basically like those people that say, Oh, I only sleep four hours a night or, Oh, I don't eat. I have to remind myself to eat. And I think that's, good. That's great for you, but that sounds extremely unhealthy. And (laughs) I, you know, you may go to an early grade because of that, but I don't, if that, you know, sells your app for a million dollars and that's great, but I just doesn't sound, that's not for me. I need, I need lots of time. I need to enjoy myself. I need to relax. And just so I can really like tap into my, my subconscious, which really is a big driver of my work. If you couldn't tell it's pretty surrealistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I need that. I need that space and time to just let it all go. I'm not always great at it, but just giving myself that time is really necessary. Do you feel that in gut engaging with other forms of art with, um, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, literature, poetry yeah. or, or film that helps that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely watching a lot of movies and reading as much as I can. That just like, reading to me is just so wonderful and really sharpens my senses in a way that helps me feel excited for being a creator. I love reading. I've always loved reading. And 
yeah, movies as well. That's always a great one for me. My partner is a director. He's a filmmaker. So, oh wow, cool. And yeah. what do you what do you like to read and watch? Well, I just finished the newest Sally Rooney book, which was good. Um, it was all right. Uh, before that, I read this um, this book called uh, Why Can't I Remember It? The Come back to me on that one. <laughs> I'm totally forgetting that yeah. it's like. I read, oh, oh yeah, The Committed, which is excellent. It's about this guy who's, uh, he's like basically working for the Viet Cong and the U.S. during the Vietnam War, and he comes to the United States, and so he's playing both sides. And it is one of the funnier, more interesting books I've ever read. Wow. And I loved it. And I also read The Year Abroad before that, Mm -hmm. which is like a young guy who goes abroad and everything goes sideways. Mm -hmm. Saying those kind of things just take me, take me away and um in terms of films films oh well i've been watching a lot of horror movies in the last month that were <laughs> really great <laughs> uh we watched the witch recently oh, which yeah. is the new one it came out in i think 2017 that's excellent yeah. just makes me really glad i don't live in the 17th century of new england because <laughs> i would definitely be hung for being a witch <laughs> That kind of thing. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that. And old movies, there's uh, Arsenic on Old Lace, which is a great Cary Grant movie. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's like real slapstick and wacky. It used to be a stage play, and then they translated it to a movie. And it's got, um, mm, I can't remember. It's just so many great actors in it. But that's that's one I saw recently. I grew up watching a lot of old films with my parents. Mm. So that was that was a really, that was a fun one. <laughs> so, um as we kind of start to wrap up, I, you know, people, I think a lot of people who listen to interviews like this sometimes might be younger, or maybe even if they're not younger, they, they're wanting to understand how do I do something like this? Because like what you're doing, because it seems so hard from the outside mm-hmm. and it seems like such a fantasy as well for people, even if they're not painters, but to say, Oh my God, to be a working artist or playwright or anything in the arts or anything that's just, you know, a few steps out of the ordinary um, or even just of what they're doing, even if what they're doing actually might look to you and me to be actually quite extraordinary. But how does, how do you, how do you guide people who are saying, all right, well, I would love to do something like this. So what, what are the, steps that they can take or what are mm-hmm. the um what is yeah. the mental framework that they can adopt motivation is a huge part of the pie in my opinion the motivation to stick with it because there are going to be a lot of hard times getting yourself going getting there again sustaining it and a modicum of self-confidence helps as well knowing that you are enough what you are doing is good, mm-hmm. but it's not, you know, you don't have to delude yourself and think you're a genius because those people usually are not mm-hmm. um, just believing in yourself and to know that you're doing the right thing mm-hmm. and to keep moving forward. Um, working a lot helps just honing your craft, whatever it is, that is the yeah. best thing you can do. That is just right. to me, one of the best things I ever learned is just to keep working and just to keep, drawing, keep painting, keep writing, keep doing whatever you do to stay active and to stay limber. It's like, it's like yoga for the mind, you know, Mm -hmm. the more flexible you are, like the easier it is for you to, to stay strong. 
It reminds me of something Seth Godin, who's a great thinker, writer, um, marketing guru says, which is that you need to have a lot of bad ideas before you have a good one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also part of, um, you know, you you try the thing and it fails. You try the next thing and it fails. Mm -hmm. What you were talking about before, which like letting pieces be unfinished and not needing to not needing this this notion that whatever I do has to be done completed well this in this particular instance every time mm-hmm. that it can it can be something that didn't go the path that you were expecting it to but that path mm-hmm. might diverge into something else right and that's I think that will dovetail into somewhat self confidence and also flexibility to say I know I'm. I'm good at what I'm doing and I can keep going, but also I need to let this go, you know, not just dwell on something that's not working because you can get stuck in a rut that way, hyper-focusing on something that's just not, that's not working out. It's not panning out. That's why if you have that that ability to pivot and go in a different direction, you may find an even better plot, you know, an even better channel for you to go down. Right. Um, you know, and you, something that you have done in your career is um, partnerships with brands, magazines, mm-hmm. doing some editorial work. Is there anything that really stands out for you among all those? I really loved working with Sub Pop when I did the album artwork for Father John Misty, his second album, I mm-hmm. Love You, Honey Bear. That was so great to work with that album, That I'm sorry, that label, because they're just, they've always worked with artists and they're a Seattle company. And I worked with Sasha Barr, the art director there, and he was just such a joy to work with. He, It really helps when you have an art director that gets your work and gives you as much like leeway as you need to get weird. And then to work with that weirdness and help like translate it into this beautiful pop-up record. That was really, really fun. And I've done a lot of, a lot of great stuff since then, working with... Um, I just worked with a power bike company, Rad Power Bikes, which this work is not technically like very in line with my fine artwork. This was more like I worked with the brand, I worked with their directors and I translated into something that worked for them, but it was really fun actually. And working with a limited color palette and just doing something that spoke to this brand's identity of like fun and movement and basically getting out there and getting into nature but also keeping it somewhat urban. That was really fun. Amazing. So um, mm-hmm. where do people come find you online mm-hmm. or even in yes. the real world, if it's a gallery? <laughs> they can find me online. Um, my Instagram is a great way to keep up with what I'm doing uh, moment by moment. Um, my handle is at Stacy Rosich. It's S-T-A-C-E-Y-R-O-Z-I-C-H. And my website, which is just my name.com. And as of right now, I don't, I don't have anything showing at a gallery, but if you're in Miami in December for the art fairs there, I will be showing at context at the Hashimoto contemporary booth. So that's what I got going on right now. Well, I absolutely encourage uh, everyone to go check out that Instagram. And also I think um, do what I do, which is just Google Stacy's name and check out the images that that pop up on Google because you see so much um and they're so cool and they really you know i think a lot of us have this tendency to like take breaks uh on our computer by doing stuff that really sucks like looking at twitter but this is like a little break for the brain that's the opposite Mm -hmm. that gives you. you something and stimulates and challenges 
and also relaxes at the same time because it's beautiful. So um, I think that's someone something everyone should do. Just take two minutes and check out Stacy's work because it's something else. In the meantime, thank you, Stacy, for joining me, and um, hopefully we'll do a follow up. But it, but um, and then, again, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me today on the Burning Castle podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Ashley Rinsberg, A-S-H-L-E-Y, R-I-N-D-S-B-E-R-G. And follow the podcast on Twitter at Burning Castle and on Instagram at Burning Castle Podcast. Till next time.